Well, good morning. My name is uh, Marshall Brown. I'll be teaching on the passages, the main one, the first one that uh, Melissa just read for us. If I have not met you already, I'd love to meet you. I'll be at the back door for a few minutes after the service, and I'd love to meet you if I have not uh, done so already. Let me pray, though, before we look at the third commandment of God. God, we uh, come into this place where we have gathered to honor your name, to worship your name, and the teaching before us, your word is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so, God, I pray that as we take up this topic, that you would convict our hearts, but more than that, you would enliven our hearts to just how great your name is for us. Thank you, Lord Christ, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if people still do this. I hope, I'm speaking mainly to the young, the, the Northwestern students here. Uh, I hope people still do this, whether it's Asia, Africa, South America, somewhere. But when I graduated college, I went to Europe for a, for a time, for a month with my brother. We did the, I don't even know if they do this anymore, the Eurail Pass. And we stayed in hostels, like $15 a night. Um, this was before the internet and cell phones. So, um, I don't know, I hope you do it, but it's so great. I learned much more, well, I didn't learn more than in college, but I learned a lot. And, um, and early in our trip, we were in kind of Central Europe. We were in Prague, I still remember, and we had met a guy. We, you know, when you're traveling, you're staying in hostels, you meet all these different people. We met a guy who was uh, an American, but who'd spent the semester before living in Florence. This guy, I still remember his name. His name was G. And we're like, well, what should we do when we get to Florence? We'll be in Florence in a couple of weeks, you know, taking the trains around Europe. What should we do when we get to Florence? And he said, you got to go to this restaurant. It's my favorite restaurant. It's called Aqua al Du. Aqua al Duo. It's the best restaurant in Italy. Uh, I actually know the owner there. I've spent time with him. His name is Luigi. Uh, this guy's awesome. He drives a Ferrari. He has a house in Positano. Tell him you know me. Tell Luigi you know me. So... We're traveling on a budget, we're saving our pennies, you know, you know, eating ramen, staying in these cheap old hostels because we're going to get to Florence and we're going to splurge at Aqua All Duo. And so we get to Florence, we make the reservation, we're so excited. So we go, my brother and I, and we don't speak Italian, uh, they don't speak very good English. And so we're trying to explain that, you know, we're the friend of the friend of Luigi and the, and the server's just kind of like... You know Luigi? And uh, remember, we are 22-year-old Americans dressed in like L.L. Bean and Dockers, and we're traveling on a budget, okay? Uh, we don't look like we belong here. Uh, at that time, I actually had a buzz cut, okay? And so he's like, you know Luigi? And, uh, you know, I'm like, ah, my brother, whose relationship to the Ninth Commandment, you shall not lie, is a little bit loose, <laughs> just goes for, he said, we know Luigi, <laughs> And I'm like, oh, oldest child, keep the rules. I'm like, oh, goodness, this could go really bad. Thank goodness Luigi was not in the house that night. And because of that, we got our bill cut in half. You see, there's power, there's power in knowing the right name. Feel free to use my name. You can use my name as a reference. In other words, my reputation will vouch for you. Tell them, tell them you know me. Tell them you know me. And when we do that, the greater the person we know, the higher the stakes for misusing that name. If you know someone who knows someone, or maybe even you know someone famous or powerful, uh, you're careful with their name. You don't just pass out their cell phone to other people. You're careful not to misuse someone's name. Names matter because they represent the person, right? They represent something significant. 
We're seeing this true. If you're a fan of college athletics, this is coming true in spades. Um, the NIL, name, image, and likeness, that if you're going to use my name, my likeness, you have to be compensated for it, okay? NIL, this is all about I get the rights to my name, to my image. Now, we've been studying the Ten Commandments. The series title is Learning to Live by Grace. And we've wanted in these sermon series to reframe the Ten Commandments not as stodgy and irrelevant and old-fashioned, but as life-giving and as fresh, both pointing us to the character of God, but also providing a character, I mean a path uh, to build a care, a path on which we can build a great life, a character-building path. So far, we have looked at the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, you shall not worship another god. Last week, we looked at the second commandment, uh, how do you worship God. This week, the third commandment, how do we talk about God, although we'll see that it's even bigger than that. To quote the verse that uh, Melissa read for us earlier, Exodus 20, verse 7, the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, when we hear that, we think no swearing, right? Uh, No profanity using God's name. And it does mean that, but it means so much more. And I want to see three things today. That God's name matters immensely. That God's name must be guarded intently. And that finally, God's name can only be honored by knowing him intimately. God's name matters. It must be guarded. And we must know God to honor his name. First, God's name matters immensely. Now, God has many names. This is fascinating. He says, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. But he has so many names in Scripture. God does. Uh, Let me just recite a couple of them for you. Because each name of God, each name of God says something about God's character. God presents himself as, I'll, I'll use some of the Hebrew. God presents himself as Elohim, the God who is powerful. He presents himself as Adonai, the God who is the Lord. He presents himself as El Shaddai, the God who is almighty. Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. El Elyon, the God Most High. El Olam, the the Eternal God. Yahweh Yireh, the God who provides. Yahweh Rophe, the God who heals. Yahweh Nissi, the God is my banner, the one who is victorious. Yahweh Mkadesh, the Lord of holiness. Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. Yahweh Seduku, the Lord of righteousness. And then interestingly, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God associates with people. That's a whole sermon in itself. He has these great names, but then he also calls himself the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Marshall, the God of you. But most of Genesis, the Hebrew people know God as Elohim. It's the generic name for God. It basically means many God. Well, I won't say Elohim. Uh, But in Exodus, the book of Exodus, which is where we find the Ten Commandments, God is going to redeem his people. They have been enslaved in Egypt, and he's going to bring them out by his mighty hand. And he calls this man named Moses to be his spokesman, to be the leader of the people. And he says, Moses says to God, what shall the people call you? What is your name? And God says, my name is I am who I am. Uh, Which we kind of condense to, uh, you might hear Yahweh or Jehovah. It means I am who I am or I will be who I will be. When you see in your English Bible the word Lord in all caps, L-O-R-D in all caps, that is the covenant name of God, a Y-H-W-H, when you see it written out. It is God's covenant name. And what's in all caps, that is what is being conveyed from Exodus chapter 3 and all over the Old Testament. Now that name, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah whatever you want to say, um, that name, the covenant name of God is like a container. 
It is like a container into which great truths are packed. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It means that God reveals himself. He is self-sufficient. He is immortal. He is from all eternity. He is under the end of time. He is infinite. He is the holy God. He's the redeemer. He's the deliverer. He's the judge. He's the God who provides. He is the God who reconciles people. He is Yahweh. And God gives his name to reveal who he is. God's name is a revelation of who he is. But in giving his name, God's name is not just a revelation of who he is. It is also an invitation into friendship with him. He invites us also to use his name. It's as if God, when he gives us his name, he's saying, call me. I will answer. If you're in trouble, drop my name. There's a lovely passage, if you have time this afternoon, in 1 Kings chapter 8, where there's 15 times where Solomon, in dedicating the temple, says, call upon the name of the Lord in this instance, in that instance, in this instance. 15 times, call upon his name. It's not just a revelation of who he is. It's an invitation into relationship with him. But that's not all. The name of Jesus, the name of God is so big. It's not just the Old Testament, it's also the New Testament. Think about this. When Jesus comes and he teaches, how do you get started in the Christian life? He says, go into all the world and take my name, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. When Jesus teaches his people to pray, he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? When Jesus teaches us what to ask for and how to ask for things in prayer, he says, ask anything in my name and you will receive. That's John 14. And then when the word of God starts to spread after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, the name is central to his followers, to his apostles, as they take the kingdom of God forth. The apostle Peter in Acts chapter 4 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which you must be saved. And then the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 10, says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We just heard about taking the name to the nations, taking the name of the Lord to the nations, right? God's name matters because it's central to who he is. It's shorthand for his character. God is his name. But then there's this as well. It's not just that it's a revelation, an invitation, or even how we interact with God. God's name should matter to us because if you're a follower of Jesus, his name is your name. His name is your name. The amazing thing about God is he gives us his name. You saw this last week if you were here when we baptized a man in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The giving of his name. I love this, the last passage that uh, Mel just read, it'll be the last thing we say today at the service. Where we, the, the benediction at the end of a service, it is not a prayer. It is God's name being spoke over. You look with me, it's the last uh, scripture printed, Numbers chapter 6, 24 through 27. This is called the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. That's, that's actually the, that's the one you usually use. That's the benediction that Nick uses. I use the one from the New Testament. But then verse 27 after the benediction has been given, so they shall put my name. That's what a benediction is. It's putting name, God's name back on God's people so that we can be sent back out into the world. You're baptized into the name of Christ, and every week you come to a worship service, the benediction sends you back out in that name. The name of God matters. He puts his name upon his people. He puts his name. I mean, think about the title Christian. 
Christian just means little Christ, one who is within whom Christ exists, Christ in you. We have the name of God. You know, one of the, the funny traditions after the service, there's all these kids, and, you know, they have, the way we do uh, child care is their names are on the back, uh, right? Uh, so you'll see this. They'll, they'll take their, after the service, hopefully, so there's not a security breach, uh, they, uh, they'll take one of those name tags and they'll stick them on somebody else. So you might come out of the worship service and you'll have all these name tags on your back, right, from all the kids who have taken them off one another's names. Well, with God's name... He's revealing himself, but it's also an invitation to, he's like saying, use my name. Put my name tag on you. You can use my name. Call yourself by my name. (laughs) Think of the humility of God. He gives us, he risks giving you, I I never really thought about this deeply until this week. He risks giving you and me his name. If you call yourself a Christian, as I do, think how risky that is for God. He's giving you, he's giving me his name and asking us to bear it. God's name matters immensely because it's a revelation of who he is. It's an invitation to relationship with him. And also it is our name if you're a follower of Jesus. And because it matters so immensely, secondly, God's name must be guarded intently. Because God's name matters immensely, Treating this uh, like it doesn't matter is serious. Actually, you look at the second half of verse 7. It says, you shall not take the Lord's name, your God, in vain. For, he adds a reason. For, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is serious. So let me slide into this serious matter with something that actually is a little bit cheeky, uh, but I think helpful. This is an illustration of a a guy named uh, Gary North. He says this, God's name, treat God's name like a trademark. In order to gain widespread distribution for his copyrighted repair manual, the Bible, and also to capture greater market share for his authorized franchise, the church, God has graciously licensed the use of his name to anyone who will use it according to his written instructions. It needs to be understood that God's name has not been released into the public domain. God retains legal control over his name and threatens serious penalties against the authorized misuse of the supremely valuable property. All trademark violations will be persecuted to the full limits of the law. The persecutor, judge, jury, and enforcer is God. End quote. Now that's actually a little cheeky, but it's a good way to start thinking about God wants how he wants his name to be used and not used. Okay, again, because we tend to think of, you know, it's uh, you know, saying GD or JC or OMG, right? Uh, and it is that, but it is so much more. I, mean, I, I tend to think of this command as... Um, it's a little bit like, I don't know if this still happens, it certainly happened to me, but you know, don't, don't say that or I'll wash your mouth out with soap. I certainly had my mouth washed out with soap as a little boy. Uh, that's, it's not like this. It's much more serious. It's like danger, high voltage, don't touch that wire or you will die. It will kill you. The Heidelberg Catechism, which is uh, this lovely document from 400 years ago, it says this, no sin makes God more angry than blaspheming his name. And the proof of that might be Leviticus 24, where it says a man blasphemes the name of God, and God commands that that man is stoned. So what then does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? One preacher says to take the Lord's name in vain is to take God's name in unreality. In other words, to use God's name as if he were actually not God, or that we do not know him. I mean, the risk my brother and I ran in Florence is we did not know Luigi, right? 
We were using his name in vain. There was no reality to the relationship. But this command, it's about more than just speech or about language. The language here, that is the word that's translated take, it's actually the Hebrew word that means bear or carry. This is about more than what we say. It's about how we carry God into all of our life. How we bear God's name, whether it's active or passive, silent or speaking. We bear God's name at all times. How are you bearing God's name? So, I don't know if this will be helpful. I think it will be, actually. So what is prohibited? How do we violate the third commandment? I'm going to give you ten commandments for the third commandment, okay? Ten ways that you, break the, you can break the third commandment. Pretty briefly. First, heresy and error. Speaking untruly about God. Heresy and error. Secondly, hypocrisy. Claiming to know God and acting otherwise. That's bearing God's name in vain, right? Third, blasphemy. Speaking irreverently or presumptuously. Okay. Now, so what I'm going to do is, those are the first three, heresy, hypocrisy, and blasphemy. What I want to do in the next few is kind of break that out and use a little bit more modern language. That's kind of old, foggy language. What, is, you know, what does blasphemy even mean? Okay. Third, fourthly, to use God's name flippantly. I love college football, and my favorite uh, program on Saturday mornings is College Game Day. But they have this thing that drives me a little bit batty uh, where they have this song they sing called God Bless Saturday. That is using God's name flippantly, to use God's name flippantly. A fifth way that we break God's name, uh, take God's name in vain, is by using his name rotely. You know, when we worship, just kind of mindlessly rattling off God's name. That can be taking God's name in vain. Sixth, using God's name for our causes. Using God's name for our causes. When we confuse the aims of this world, whatever they may be, with God's name, we bring shame on his name. That is why in the Lord's Supper, I mean the Lord's Prayer, excuse me, it says, Hallowed be thy name, it is followed by thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And sadly, there's many instances in Christian history where God's name has been used for human causes. The Crusades, slavery, slaughter of indigenous people. Apartheid in South Africa, Christian nationalism, using God's name for our cause. I read recently about a bumper sticker that someone saw that said, if, God, if Jesus owned a gun, he would still be alive. There's at least three things wrong with that. First, Jesus is still alive. Second of all, second of all, God's will was that Jesus should die. But third of all, to put that on a bumper sticker is to use God's name for your politics. That is a violation of this commandment. Using our end, God's name, to further our ends. Seventh, swearing and vows. Be careful. I swear to God. Be careful. That can be appropriate. But you best know God. This is why, by the way... The, mo the vow that most of you in this room have made or will make is the vow of marriage. And vows of marriage must be taken seriously. That's why whenever I lead a marriage sermon, I say, this is a sober moment. Don't enter into this lightly. Before God and these witnesses, I promise, invoking God's name. The Bible clearly has provisions for divorce. But to dismiss your wedding vows is in risk of taking God's name in vain. Eighth, 
Calling God's character into question is a way that we can take God's name in vain. When we undermine and don't believe in God's sovereignty, we're calling into his question, is God Almighty? When we question God's provision for our life by trying on our own to acquire wealth, happiness, our own salvation, we're calling into question that God is the God who provides, Yahweh Yireh. And when we want to achieve our own righteousness, when we try to wash ourselves clean and parade our righteousness, this is my temptation, we are calling into question the God of righteousness. And then a couple more, 9 and 10 are a little bit more specific. Number 9, way to break God's... I don't want to forbid this, but be very careful using the language God told me. Be, be very, I'm tempted, to, but be careful with the language God told me. Because that language can very quickly verge into taking God's name in vain and saying, I know exactly God's mind, and this is what it is. And then tenth and finally, taking God's name can look like, I don't think X, whatever X is, I don't think this is a big deal. God wants me to be happy. If X is something that is in the Bible that God has clearly said something about, don't take his name in vain and say that your happiness or whatever it is trumps what God's word has said, right? Which is all to say, you break this commandment, you and I, we break this commandment. We, you may never say GD in your entire life, and you will break this commandment. But a couple things. This commandment also, it's not just a prohibition. Uh, there's also positive applications. There are joyful things about this commandment. We get to use God's name with reverence, with awe, with earnest joy in our confession, in our prayers, in our praise, in our life. We are called by this commandment, how do we think of God, how we worship God's name. Is it joyful or flippant? Is our worship of God expressed the fullness of who he is or just the bits that we like? You see, honoring God, we can honor God by the way we uphold our vows, our marriage vows. This is why I'm trying to think of a way to celebrate wedding anniversaries. Because if you make it to 30, 40, 50 years, that is honoring God's name. You have honored a vow. And that is beautiful and ought to be celebrated. But it's also, as I said, it's not just our speech. It's how we live, how we bear God's name in the world. When you love your neighbors and family and friends well, that is bearing God's name. When you're in business or in law or medicine and you carry out your work with dignity, with respect for your clients, for your employers, that is bearing God's name. Students, when you study hard, not so much just for the grade, but to know more of God's world, that is bearing God's name. And children and youth... Giving your all in plays, in games, in concerts, that can be bearing God's name. I am coaching a seven-year-old basketball league, which there are all kinds of temptations to sin as the coach. (laughs) But I have three rules for my team. I have three rules for my team. Play hard, play fair, and have fun. And because as my players live into that play hard, play fair, have fun... They are actually bearing God's name. Well, even if they don't know his name. The great articulation of this is in the movie Chariots of Fire. Eric Little, the Olympic champion, sprinting champion, and missionary, he says this. I'll cut the quote short. He says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Which is to say, honoring God's name is not just this dreadful duty. It is a joy. You get to bear the name of the immortal, eternal God. Bear his name with joy. 
So do you talk and live like someone who knows God's name in reality or in unreality, in honor or in vain? Now, if I stopped right now and I just said stop taking the Lord's name in vain, stop bearing his name in vain, I would run the risk of exasperating your brokenness, fallenness, and sin. Because the law is wonderful and beautiful. It points out the problems. It's like a mirror, we've said, that shows us the flaws, how far we have failed. But how can we honor God's name? Friends, God's name can only be honored when you know him intimately. When you know him and what he has done for you. We start to honor the name of God when we come to know him in reality and know God himself. Let me tell you a story. Peggy Harris of Vernon, Texas had been married for six weeks in 1941 when her husband of six weeks, Billy D. Harris, was sent off to World War II. He never came home, and for 60 years, she did not know what had happened to her husband. And then in 2005, one of her relatives started doing more research and discovered the story of Billy D. Harris of Vernon, Texas. You see, Billy D. Harris had been shot down over Nazi-occupied France in the days after D-Day. But instead of ejecting to safety, he had stayed in the cockpit long enough to avoid the small village of Levant in France, a small village below. He had stayed in just to get his plane to avoid hitting the homes. He crashed in the woods just beyond this small village, saving lives in his death. As the plane went down, the people in the village saw what he had done to save them. They saw what he did. And so they took him and they buried him and they covered his grave in flowers that were knee high. Now years later, his remains were moved to the American cemetery at Normandy. But the townspeople continued to annually commemorate his sacrifice by marching to his grave and placing flowers. They actually renamed the main plaza in their town. They renamed the main plaza. I love this. Plaza de Billy de Harris. Uh, <laughs> He gave his life for the village. They knew that. And so they honor his name. Now imagine an older person encountering a group of teenagers making fun of that very American and Texan name. Billy D. Well, Billy D. Harris. You know, making fun of it. And what would that old Do you know Billy D. Harris? Do you know what he did? Do you know that he saved your grandparents? And you might not be here if it weren't for Billy D. Harris. They honor the name. Because they know what the man did for them. Do you know God? Do you know what he has done for you? You will only honor him if you know who he is and what he has done. In his excellent sermon on this uh, commandment, Brian Habig says the following. He says, every week we gather as a group of lawbreakers. A group of people who take God's name in vain. And every week... There's no malediction. There is no damning of God. There is no condemning of God. There is only God bless you. God loves you. God forgives you. In fact, here is my name, God says. Put it on your children in baptism, on yourself in the waters of baptism. Pray in my name and then go out to the world in my name. Take my name to the nations. And why is that? Why do we get the name of God? Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus who always kept his word, who always honored his father, died for the sins of those who call upon him. Let me be reverent, but...
but serious. At the cross of Jesus Christ, God damned himself. That's what the cross is, God damning himself. It's the second half of this verse. You shall not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And in our place, Jesus condemned stood the righteous for the unrighteous, the law keeper for the law breakers. For those who have taken the name in vain, he took our place as the one who never violated the name. And because of his giving, we have his name. What is the number one designation for Christians in the New Testament? In Christ. In we have his name. And as Skip Ryan says, the names of Jesus accrue to us. Every name given to Jesus is yours. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Beautiful Savior, the one who redeemed you and saved you. Wonderful Counselor, the one who meets you in your afflictions. The bread of life upon whom you feed. You are, like God said of his Son, the Beloved in whom he is well pleased. You are Emmanuel, God present with you. And the amazing thing is the death and resurrection of Jesus are not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story of God's name because at the end of time, the Father will exalt the name of Jesus. Because this is Philippians chapter 2, at the name of Jesus at the end of time, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, friends, all the benefits of Jesus, including his glory, all the benefits of Jesus are in his name. And his name is your name in Christ, Christian, little Christ. You see, friends, the only thing that can make God's name precious to you and make you want to bear his name in honor is to understand what he has done for you, who he is for you. To know God, to know the love of God in Christ for you, he gave his self so that you might have his name. Now, I happen to know that there are several of you in this room who are considering taking the name of Jesus. You're considering giving your life to Jesus. You're considering becoming a Christian. Some of you, I know, were moved last week seeing Ed baptized. And let me just say to you, make today the day. Take the name upon your lips. All, there's no formula. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I take your name. Show me how to follow you. It'll work out. If that is you today... Take the name. He delights to answer that prayer. So for all of us, by me, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. But by all means, take the name of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, Thank you for giving us your name. Amen.